Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health, where we bring themes from our work as eating disorder clinicians to the greater community. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today, I'm joined by all three of Opal's co-founders, Executive Director Dr. Lexi Giblin, Clinical Director and Head of the Sport and Exercise Program, Kara Bazzi, and Nutrition Director, Community Relations Director, and Dietitian, Julie Church. Before we get started, though, I wanted to invite you to the Appetites relaunch party on November 16th. I don't know if you noticed, but we were off air for a couple months there, and we are officially back, um, bringing way more frequent episodes to you, and we want to celebrate with the community. So stay tuned for more details on that. So on a really different note, um, even as we're talking about a party, today we're also going to be talking about grief. And I'm kind of laughing to myself because that does feel like quite a bit of a transition. Um, But hear us out because we do have a lot to say about why grief is actually a really good thing. Lexi, I know that you were at a, was it a retreat lately Mm -hmm. that was particularly around the grief process? Yes. And this is what I bring to this conversation, just having been there and um, just having such understanding of our um, culture and how we we don't tend to encourage grief in each other and join with each other in grief. I feel like there's a lot of just move on, get get yourself together, get on with life. Why are you still feeling that it was a year ago or you know, some minimization of what someone might ex- be experiencing? So there, um, there's an idea that, that I, I bring, which is a dialectic, which was this two opposing forces that work together. Um, and the, the dialectic is grief and prosperity. So I bring this assumption, I think we bring this assumption that with grief comes prosperity. If you don't grieve something fully, then um, prosperity will be difficult to find because unresolved grief gets in the way of prosperity. And at the retreat um, I attended, I, I experienced a grief ritual um, from the African Dagara tribe and Sabanfu Somme's uh, work, and it was hosted by Hilary Hurst from Bend. And what happened was about 25 women went into a room, and we sat in a circle, and we all went around the circle and shared what, we, what brought us to this circle, to this grief this grief ritual, this grief ceremony. So we had a sense, a basic sense of everyone's grief in the room. So that alone was, you know, sharing and being in community with others who are grieving. Then from there, um, Hillary had three stations um, placed in this room. And I should say, you know, the the lights are dim, the candles (laughs) are on. And then Hillary has, creates this setting um, where you, you move to this grief area, and when you go to the grief area, you um, sit on a um, pillow, and someone is um, uh, sits behind you, and in this sort, and the like, as in, I'm here, I'm here with you in this grief. You're not your job is not to, you know, make them feel better. It's to be just be in it with them. So anytime someone sits in the grief area, you sit behind them and hold space. And when you're, when you have felt, when you are drawn to leaving the grief space, you can go to another area of the room, which is the, which was the um, ancestral um, area where 
you could, there were pictures of and belongings of ancestors on a table, and you could go there and ask questions, for example, of your ancestors or long for your ancestors, grieve for your ancestors, whatever meaning was placed. Um, and then you would, you could then also move to another altar, which was um, the forgiveness altar. So um, you could go there if you wanted to experience um, forgiveness of yourself for maybe what you've had to, what you've got done because of your grief, or you wanted forgiveness for for any anything in your life. So we would you would go there, and then if at any point you would find yourself grieving again, you go back to the grief space and you just move through the room just based on your emotional experience. Um, and at one point. I was walking across the room and uh, apparently I looked like I was grieving and Hillary said, grieve. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went to the grieving area and grieved and I, it was, it was actually quite comforting to be commanded to grieve. (laughs) (laughs) I said, okay, I will go to grief and grieve. And she was probably right. I, I was, I was in a grieving space, but popping out and going somewhere else. I was feeling I, I was feeling like I should be helping others in their grief or holding space for others. So then I would pull out of grief. Um, but there's always someone there, you know, to for everybody. So it was just a it was a beautiful um ceremony um where I think all the women in the room felt invited to feel without trying to feel better or without trying to make it all okay. And I I left that grief ceremony feeling like I truly grieved and in community. It was so powerful. I mean, I I just, it was just, I'll never forget it, right? And I've left feeling like I've moved through grief quite a bit in that three hours. Um, I feel so taken by this ritual because I just don't see our culture providing spaces regularly for grief. I mean, how many times do I have a conversation with a friend who starts tearing up and they say, I'm so sorry I'm crying. I'm so sorry I'm crying. And I'm just overhearing apologies about crying. I do not. (laughs) There's no reason to apologize for crying. Mm. We need each other and we need need to grieve together because grief and aloneness are, are really intensely painful places to be. Um, to be grieving in community is hard. To be grieving while alone is just intolerable. It makes me wonder why we apologize for crying. I don't know. I think there's this assumption that it's a burden to for the listener, for the person you're in relationship to experience your tears. I just don't, I don't relate to that feeling of burden. I experience it as connective and a meaningful and a strong purpose in life. So I actually, I feel like it's, I don't feel burdened by it. So I, there's no apology needed. It's the, and yeah, there's Seeing a Kara, lot of, you are a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of people do feel burdened. I mean, I think of the discomfort that people really do have in the yeah. presence of somebody who's crying. I think that's really real. I also don't think that, um, we necessarily expect we're allowed to cry most places. So even if I'm in front of someone that, and as a therapist as well, yeah. I know that most of my friends are therapists too or are in therapy and they're fine with crying. But there there maybe isn't as much of a stage that's set for this is a time that you're – that everyone's acknowledging, oh, you're going through something. Um, you're going to be in this process and it's going to be loud or it's going to be messy. I think that we're sort of 
often more squeezing in our emotion into different parts of our life rather than kind of having the traditional, you know, black armband around us that says we're grieving. Um, Because otherwise, I think with that, then people sort of expect that and are making space for you more naturally. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a fear that if you grieve, you're going to get derailed and then you can't go through your day or you can't, you're going to get sucked into this vortex of sadness and not be able to climb out of it. I've definitely heard a lot of clients talk about that, too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, Lexi, because this um, sub, Sabonfu, is that how you say their uh-huh. name? Sabonfu. Sabonfu. One of the things they wrote about in an article was that it is so important to have ways to release those pains to keep clearing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Hanging on to old pain just makes it grow until it smothers our creativity, our joy, and our ability to connect with others. And I really appreciate that sentence, and, and I related to the word clearing, that this idea, if we didn't have judgment about our emotion, our sadness, our grief, that the idea that it just will flow out of us and clear us. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, what if we were clearing ourselves every day? Like going, you know, like the daily things we do, like brushing our teeth. <laughs> if we actually saw emotion in that kind of regularity, daily regularity, because I think there's so many, even just small moments of grief or loss every day that we that goes unacknowledged. Um, because we don't kind of respect it or give space for it. Mm-hmm. I, and I think food can be a beautiful way to do that, honestly. I mean, myself as a dietitian, I just see so many people that bring this uh, guilt about connecting emotion with food. And I just believe that that could be one of the easiest ways. We need to eat every day <laughs> and many times throughout the day. And what if, what if we make a choice that connects us to our grief, to the person that we're missing, the the experience that we remember, that we wish we could be back in um, and allow that to be connective. I think there's so much um, a pull to do any type of emotional eating in secret and not do that in a communal way or in a public space. And I think that also contributes to the cycle of guilt and shame around the emotional eating. And I think there's a lot of beauty and connectedness that can come from actually eating when we're really emotional. (laughs) Um, And I think one of the fears that people have is that if they're emotional, they're going to overeat. And that I think culturally is one of the things that nobody wants to do is eat too much food. And what would that lead to? Oh, that might lead to your body changing or gaining weight or lack of health or whatever it might be. And I just think that the more time that we actually do connect to eating um, and the emotion, it actually can be more of an attuned way of eating versus a more disconnected way. And I I think of uh, just a pattern in my family life around grief is my granny's vegetable beef soup. And that's just something that it's, we make it. We make it when we're sad. We make it when we lose people. You know, we make it at times when we're just wanting to be together and far away from each other. And so I just think of that as a beautiful way to eat emotionally. And I always give that that story to my clients, too, to say that's emotional eating. Like that's a beautiful way of, to emotionally eat. And that doesn't mean that we have to um, be fearful that it's going to lead to too much. I love that, Julie. I've found that with places in my life that I've left behind. I think having lived in different countries, there are different foods Mm -hmm. that I think maybe are even more so tied to those particular landscapes or particular cultures. And so when I'm really missing Greece, for instance, 
I will take myself out alone to a Greek restaurant. <laughs> and it's actually not very fun alone because you're supposed to eat in community. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I will maybe like eat a couple of things by myself or invite yeah. people into that with mm-hmm. me so that I'm able to bring that part of my life kind of into the present and feel the loss mm-hmm. and also sort of pursue the sweetness or the prosperity, like you said, Lexi, mm-hmm. in that time, mm-hmm. kind of bring it along with me. Mm-hmm. It's a space of integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one thing I'm thinking when Julie was talking is just the again the maybe the cultural pressure towards we're all trying to be happy and feel good, um, and then the assumption is that it's bad to feel sad or bad to feel grief and the um, weakness too. I think the, would be yeah. the word that comes to my mind around it too. Right. Um, yeah. So it's just interesting because I think of how common that conversation comes up with our clients. And I'm always just kind of struck there, well, gosh, are we exempt from, I mean, isn't suffering like one of the main things about life? And I just came across in thinking about this client and grief. Um, C.S. Lewis, who's an author, he wrote this book, A Grief Observed, and it was about the loss of his wife. And it's a really powerful book. And one of the things he, he said is, we are promised sufferings. They're part of the program. We were even told, blessed are those that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not imagination. And I just, I love that, like the first line, we were promised sufferings. And my father-in-law is Buddhist, and he always talks about the first noble truth is suffering and that it's natural. It's seen more neutrally. Like it's just, again, part of life. And I think that's where culture does us such a disservice because then we're questioning and maybe pathologizing these feelings that are just normal. We're swallowing our grief. Yeah. I I have a reaction to the all of the celebrations of life, like using that language. In lieu of to, a funeral. In lieu of a funeral, um, which I, I think there's a lot of, to celebrate about life and it doesn't invite mm-hmm. grief in the same way that this um, African ceremony I went to, you know, that was so releasing. It's more of a let's be happy about what the life mm-hmm. that they had versus feeling the depth of the loss and the sadness. Um, so, again, I just feel like there's a lot. Our culture doesn't invite a, uh, the experience of grief and community in the way that it could. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're grieving as a culture right now. You know, there's so much loss happening in our culture just how we are experiencing the political realm and beyond. Um, so I, could, I just see us grieving together versus the aloneness of grieving by ourselves and swallowing it. Yeah, it's a, it's a game changer culturally if totally. that was invited more. Right. Imagine how different all the spheres of life could be. Yeah, and I think about what the, what the purpose of grief is, right? So when you think about what, grief is useful what it does what's the reason for grief is that it updates our psychology mm-hmm. it helps us to understand that what was once there what was happening is no longer happening and if we don't allow for those that update to occur then we're living works our psychology is experiencing the past not what is today yeah. and so you'll see folks who are as a psychologist i certainly see folks who are stuck living in the life of the past and they haven't moved through the grief process in order to update their psychology, their computer mm-hmm. to the here and now. Yeah, my I just called my my friend who is a she's a therapist and 
she focuses on grief, um, given kind of her own personal story with a lot of grief and loss in her own life. And she talks about it in a little bit different way, but I think getting at the same point that it's an integration um, to grieve. It integrates painful parts into a healthy narrative. And I like that her the quote that she uses a lot with clients is, um, the sorrow I feel hasn't disappeared, but it has integrated itself into a pain, painful part of a healthy whole. So you still can be a healthy person. It's just integrating though those painful parts. So you're a full like it's a full. Per- you're not trying to just cut off all these things and keep moving forward. Um, and that all the learning that we can have too with our our, our painful parts. I know like some of the biggest grief moments, I mean, the biggest losses I've gone through, like the real big, the big ones, um, I, I see the ways that that's changed me. Um, not that I, not that I enjoy going through it, but the way that it's changed and integrated into who I am with my own healthy narrative now. Yeah. I, I think that oftentimes when I think about grief in that updating sense, I feel like it does truly bring you into desire and it brings you into sort of what has been lost. I think that you can't actually be um, aware of why you're so sad if you haven't also sort of sought out, well, what is it that I've wanted? What is it that I desired? Even if it's the loss of a person or, um, yeah, if it's the loss of a person, like what was so lovely about my times with this person? You have to be in a place of really allowing yourself delight again or joy or reverence. And without that, yeah, I think that that's sort of why people stray away from grieving because you have to actually think of the really beautiful parts of what you've lost and not just the painful stuff. Um, I think about that with depression and often think of depression as sort of unprocessed grief um, and a lot of times I, th- I think that I've heard clients just sort of explore what's so bad or what's so hard or what's so sad or what feels too difficult. Um, but there's also these little seeds of desire in there too, like wanting something so much and not working out or feeling really connected and then losing that connection or having actually a huge sense of desire for who a parent could be, but they haven't been. You know, all those different spaces where there's sort of the yin and the yang at the same time. I think that that allows that integration and that update in a really specific way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carter, I um, was just thinking about this season. This last summer, we've had a handful of staff leave Opal. And um, the most recent announcement of somebody leaving is just someone that I feel really, really connected with. And I was she told me when we were having a supervision meeting and I, I'm not joking. I'm not being exaggerative. I cried the entire hour <laughs> that mm. she told me. And that's a first. And of course, I, I, there was a part of me that was concerned as her, you know, her boss, essentially, that, you know, I'm crying with her for an hour. And yet that was my grief. And I was just letting her see it. And um, I, I'm just connecting with that because there is the loss of del- something that I delight in. And I know I'll still be in relationship with her, but I'm not going to see her day to day. And that's part of, you know, being working together in a community is that you see each other day to day. So it's going to change. And I, I connected to the grief immediately and, um, and it was uncomfortable to see her just see me crying for an hour, um, and just sitting in it with me. One of the other, uh, 
kind of dialectical, I guess, would be what I think is that when we are grieving something that, yeah, we might have desire or connection to, but it's also familiar and known. It's the familiarity and the known. And I'm in the process of moving from one home to a new home. And I just have so much emotion that I'm connecting to. And it is about, is, is those stories, is the, it's the goodness. Uh, it's, it's maybe some of the quirkiness and maybe not all goodness, but it is the familiarity, I think, um, and the known. And so then I'm moving into this unknown, uh, unknown space, unknown people, and so much stuff that I am moving towards desire, moving towards some of the things that I've wanted and changed. And I have hope for myself and my family in this new change, but it still is unknown. And so I just think, too, maybe the grief process, some people resist the grief process because it does mean that then we have to face some of that unknown and move from the familiarity to the um, to the newness. So Yeah. And I think specifically as eating disorder clinicians, um, a lot of what we're seeing with clients is about a kind of a resistance or a, resist a resistance to being in a client's body mm -hmm. um, or resistance to being embodied or, or feeling so much. So there's a lot of control, like we were talking about over food maybe. Um, and if you are grieving, you know, even a home or a person or a place, you have to be embodied mm -hmm. in order to actually be connected to that grief. Mm -hmm. And so when people are trying to control the way their body looks or what they're actually consuming or becoming disconnected from their bodies by maybe a lot, a lack of control in those areas, um, it's, it's a disconnection mm -hmm. to the self. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really be grieving deeply. And I think we've all been speaking to really deep ways of grief, um, not just the kind of the topical, oh, you know, that's hard, but, you know, we're going to move on. <laughs> we're talking about like deep-seated, moving your body, like Lexi said, through a room of all these different spaces and all these different processes of grief. Mm -hmm. Without your body in that process, I don't think you can do it very well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you sort of take the next level of the uniqueness of somebody that has struggled with an eating disorder and like in the process of recovery and working through that is likely having to move into the unknown of what their body might look like or what their body might feel like or what foods they might eat or what foods they might be drawn to wanting to eat or not eat. So I just think of, whoa, like the, the process of grief and the body image work that mm -hmm. our clients also are diving into is could sort of parallel, you know, the other griefs <laughs> um, that are happening, they may be also working on that. And in that regard, with body image, um, as a body image leader for a, a long time at Opal, I would say they're grieving fantasies, mm -hmm. too. Like when I, this yeah. body represents, X, you know, this whole picture about what life is going to be like. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to grieve the fantasy. Yeah. I, I feel like I've heard people say that before with marriage, too. Mm. Um, <laughs> so many people that have maybe been on a honeymoon and found themselves so upset for some reason on this honeymoon. And I think that there is a lot of grief in these stages of life, that there's some sort of fantasy that you would arrive somewhere at a certain point or that, you know, the wedding is all these things. And maybe you're grieving because you've just had the best time and now you're it's over. Or maybe you're grieving because you thought that you'd be a certain person when you were married and suddenly... All of that, or that your, your partner would be in a, a particular way. <laughs> How about that one? Yeah, a total fantasy. <laughs> that's, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I wonder if we could say that most all mental health problems are a result of unresolved grief or unprocessed grief, and I think that's what you're getting at earlier, yeah. Carter. But I really, I think it's at the root of most of what we're we're working with with clients, and I and I think about unresolved grief um, getting transferred through the generations. 
So if we don't grieve, what does that mean for our children and for the children, for our children's children and so forth? Because I can see in my own lineage that my great-grandmother's death um, in, has impacted me and the unresolved grief of the generations has impacted my own experience of grief. And so that I'm carrying some of my, my great-grandmother's grief in my life today that was passed down through me to me through my grandmother and um, mother. At the Dagara tribe ritual recently, I was thinking, I'm going to grieve hardcore today, and I'm going to do it for myself, I'm going to do it for my daughter. And hopefully mm-hmm. what was passed to me can, can now get moved through, and I can experience um, the transformation that grief brings. I, mean, I think that's, a, that's what we're saying, right? That grief transforms us. Um, and then my daughter can maybe be free of the ancestral grief that's been passed down for many generations. Every day we experience different things in our life. We experience joy, we experience sadness, and many times we have grief that we do not have word for. And it is important for us to grieve the losses that we experience on everyday basis in order to heal, to recover from what we have lost. So grieving is a soul cleansing way to reclaim and to recover our spirit. When we do not grieve, we stay in an unhealthy place and lose who we are. And so it is very important to cry, to walk in nature, to express our grief so we can feel safe and sane once again, so that the body can recover from the loss. Oh gosh, what a gorgeous sentiment it is to think about space to grieve as a sort of recovery. I feel like um, we use the language of recovery a lot when we talk about eating disorder treatment. And it's so wonderful to kind of think about how choosing eating disorder recovery is also kind of choosing grief in a way. Which is what ends up happening, I think, oftentimes when clients are coming to Opal. They're coming in trying to address their eating disorder, and then there is a lot of grief that happens, but it might take a while to get access to those emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that um, one of the things that we're aware of with people that are maybe restricting intake is often that they're not feeling a lot of their emotions for so long. So like you said, Kara, there is a bit of a process first in just getting nourished again and kind of getting your entire body back online to be able to to create space again for the deeper emotion. Um, and I think that it happens a lot of times through a lot of the group process that would happen at Opal, but I think that it also just invites people to suddenly be more with themselves and more aware of integrating emotion into their lives, I think in a more rhythmic way or more naturally integrated way, um, whether that's happening actually in a PHP setting or it's just a kind of a launching point for them to have a deeper relationship to themselves. And a cool thing about Opal is we treat adults, 18 and over clients, and yet we have family therapy uh, for all of our clients offered. So, I mean, there's there can be direct, you know, work being done. Mm-hmm. And that's been a when we've watched people do their family work. Wow, it's pretty powerful what they're doing. 
And I actually think Opal is beautiful at um, allowing for grief. Mm -hmm. We, you know, just, you know, I was expressing my frustration with the broader culture, but Opal as a, as a subculture feels like a place of communal grief. And there's definitely a lot of crying. A lot of crying. A lot lot of crying. (laughs) A lot of holding space. A lot of feeling the feels. Yeah. And so I do think. Yeah, when you see someone first come in, there's the urge to fix, to like try to make people feel better. And then you can watch them progress. And then they start to learn how to just kind of sit there and hold the space. Yeah. And be there with somebody, not try to change. No, I think think that the... uh, how many times people are crying at the table and people are having to just continue to sort of hold that space. While they're eating. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just like allow that to happen. And yes, there's sort of like similar to the ritual of like people are there. (laughs) The staff are there. The other clients are there. And I just think of that. I'm sure how many different groups that that happens in as well. I know I observe it more at the meals as a dietitian, but it's there's a lot of that. Yeah. One thought I have is maybe the reason we feel burdened by non-therapists feel burdened by others emotions is because they feel like they have to do something to make it better so the idea here is to just allow the person to be you don't have to do anything you just have to hold space sit with them experience experience them but not make it better take it the pain away because i can see how it would be quite a burden to take away vast amounts of pain yeah, I think it also becomes a burden because you then have to sit with your own exactly. feelings. Yeah. yeah, not just theirs, but suddenly maybe you're tapped into your own feelings of grief, yeah. too. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you also to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetites original music, and to Large Media. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Appetite on your preferred podcast app so you can follow along as new content is released. We also would so appreciate if you'd leave a review of the podcast so we can get a bit of a better sense of how you all are enjoying it and so that others interested in the content can find it more easily. If you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder and you're hoping to learn more about potential resources for recovery, please visit opalfoodandbody.com. You can also just follow along with Appetite and Opal on Opal's Facebook or Twitter. If you ever have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us. Thanks again. Talk to you next time.